Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. My name is Michael Zalavari, and today we are building up to the big one. It is the biggest race in the sports car calendar, arguably the biggest motorsport event in the world. It is the jewel of the Triple Crown. It is the 24 Hours of Lamar. It is the big one. Here we are. We're doing it once again. And joining me today on this journey, we've got Chris Washer 97. Good evening, Chris. Or good very early morning to you, in fact. It is. As of right now, it's about 5.21 in the morning local time. Um, anything for Lamar, though. Absolutely right. I feel that. And thank you very much for being on. And thank you also very much to our sponsor, theracingline.app. Make sure that you get onto the Racing Line, download at the iOS store, the Android store, your motorsport calendar. Keep you abreast of all of the sessions, of which there will be plenty at Le Mans because track action starts on Wednesday. And you know it's going to be a good week of racing when the track action starts on Wednesday. That's one of the, the coolest parts about being Le Mans. And in fact, right now, as we're recording this po- uh, podcast, they're doing the, the pressage, the scrutineering in the town center of Le Mans uh, for all 60 cars. Is it 60 or 62 this year? I forget. Anyway, all of the cars that will be racing uh, this week, well, this coming week, um, by the time that this podcast goes live. Um, but Chris, what is the Le Mans 24 hours? Why, why, why is it something that people care about? Do we care about it? I don't think so. It's French. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but what what is this event? It's a twenty four race that started, I think, in the nineteen twenties, um, in in the French countryside near Le Mans. Um, it's ran partially on French highways and permanent circuit, uh, basically from Tête Rouge until um, can't remember what. It's basically just before the Porsche curves. It that's where the highway section is, and the rest of it's permanent. And it's very because it's the top class. Um, it's the basically the biggest endurance race in the world, and I mean you see the likes of Peugeot, Toyota, Audi, uh, Ford, Ferrari. Basically, any make that want to prove that their car is the best, uh, this is where they usually go to. I, I can't believe you didn't mention Porsche in those list of manufacturers. That is despicable of you. Uh, yes, it, this is this is a long race. In fact, it is the hundredth anniversary of this event next year, uh, which will see a grand increase in entries because everyone wants to win the hundredth anniversary. Uh, but something that I, I think is really important is that it's a, a technological test as well. You know, they started this event uh, because. People weren't sure that cars could run for 24 hours straight. That was the question. Could you run a car for 24 hours straight and have it survive at the end? Why not race? Who can get the farthest in 24 hours and have the car survive at the end? And that's sort of where this race has its origins. It joins the town. It did join the towns of Le Mans, uh, Moussan, and Arnage. And now we've kind of clipped the circuit back to what its modern day component is. But it's it's really been a living technological test bed, hasn't it? Yeah, because you saw like, what, in the mid-2000s, uh, the diesel era with Audi leading the charge. And then... Um... Then 2011, 2012 was the debut of the new hybrids. And that was just the creation of what we knew as the LMP1 Bonker era that unfortunately, you know, collapsed onto itself 2016, 2017. And what's led us to this moment. But I mean, 
it's just really such a fascinating race with so much different types of cars and different engineering marvels that happen throughout the years it's definitely a very interesting race and, and and as well the fact that it's on public roads for a large proportion of it means that you have to come up with innovative solutions to solve some of the problems of being on public roads like the fact that you know you're literally running on the main main highway that trucks use and you've got this bouncy uh you know not not even close to smooth surface that you're racing on. And how do you deal with that when you get to complex aerodynamics? The things like having decent lights, you know, the, the laser LED lights that every single car has nowadays started at Le Mans because they were one of the, the things that Audi came up with in order to be able to see better at night. Things like uh, seat belts and uh, disc brakes got their debut at Le Mans as solutions to problems of running a car for 24 hours uh, under the the pressures of competition. So it has it has it's kind of has its tendrils in every single part of car design. And uh, while we're not currently, uh, we'll talk about it a little later on. But we're not currently in the moment where we're getting. Uh, incredible technological advancement uh, like we have in some seasons past, like the LMP1H era, uh, we are still at the very forefront of technology. And I think that's a really, really cool part about this event. Uh, but of course, there is something that's, you know, for people who might be listening to us for the first time, first of all, thank you. Welcome. Welcome to the world of endurance racing and sports cars. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of different factors in motorsport that kind of make their presence felt at Le Mans and a few different things that people may not have encountered before. And one of them is the fact that you have multiple classes of cars. So in this year's event, we've got four different classes of cars uh, where we've got the LMH cars, the hypercars, uh, the LMP2 machines, uh, the pair of GT classes in GTE Pro and GTEM. Uh, but how does this work? How, do, how can you have multiple classes of cars racing on the same track at the same time? I mean, the easiest numbers, uh, numbers. I mean, take a look at, at the current uh, day and age of what we have now. It would be quite boring to only have five cars racing each other. So then you had LMP2, which is supposed to be, you know, the lower tier prototype class, which, you know, take a look at what the, uh, where the drivers are. Someone to argue with basically, you know, another you know pro driver paradise. If you take a look at some of these LMP2 driver lineups, it's pretty stacked. Uh, GTE Pro, basically all pro GT car lineup. So people just want to see uh, what 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 the what the uh, cars are uh, that are just you know on the road, regular 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 road cars racing each other like Corvettes, Porsches, and Ferraris. Then you have GTE Am, which is you know the a more uh, let's say a more friendly approach to the amateur drivers who help bankroll some of these teams. So it's it's it based it's basically having classes so everybody has a um they have they have choices basically on where they race and, and it, it's also a bit of a complex thing in that you have you know four classes on track it's basically like having four separate races happening at once isn't it and that's really the beauty of it because if if one race goes stale like let's let's be honest LMH well. I think what having five, six cars this year, it's not going to be enthralling for probably the majority of the race. Um, so then you take a look at LMP2, you take a look at the battles there, and then if there's nothing happening there, or or you just take a look around at the uh, at the live timing, see which cars are close to each other, and focus on that. That's the beauty of endurance racing is that if 
if uh, one class isn't delivering, you can always focus on another, and it's probably a, a race going on there. And that, and that is a really, really unique part of uh, sports cars that you don't really see in, for example, Formula Racing or IndyCar or even, uh, you could argue, some touring car championships as well. They don't really have this multi-class aspect. And it's something that is really a, a, a legacy thing of, you know, times and periods gone past. You mentioned, of course, the, the entry list numbers. Uh, in, in the past, you know, it would be literally people bringing their road car or bringing paying someone to drive their road car around and you know you'd have people in mercedes slrs or uh the what was the one in the 1950s the s the sl sl sls the 300 roadster that one uh and then on the same track you'd have people driving their austin healy's around and you know to to equalize everything and to have everyone have something to fight for they'd have different classes based on displacement and then as the regulations change and as the world changed you get you started to get prototype cars appearing and then all of a sudden you've got these massive group c machines that can hit 400 kilometers down the main straight and you go well that's a bit scary and yeah it's it's one of those unique sort of factors about this race and about sports cars and does that does that make it more interesting to watch uh, the fact that you've got different classes on track? How how does that change the the viewing experience? I like it better when there's multiple classes because it, it because um when you take a look at Formula One, for example, if if the leader runs away with it, now surely there, there there's there's midfield battles. I'm not saying those aren't good at all. But the difference is is that in endurance racing, if there let's say there's one class where the leader's absolutely running away with it. Chances are, in different classes, the leader isn't. There's still a race going on between, you know, the top two, the top three, um, in that class. So if one class is running away with it, you can still go to another class and see pop, you know, most likely a battle for the lead or at least a battle for the podium. So I think that I think that's the main difference. And as well, uh, the the fact that you've got traffic to contend with every lap. I mean, we've just come from watching the 24 hours of Nürburgring, which was last weekend. And for those who don't know the Nürburgring Nordschleife, just pick your favorite racing uh, simulator game or uh, arcade game or whatever and boot up the biggest, longest track in the game. And then imagine not just racing around that in the GT3 car, but also trying to navigate a, a field full of slower cars. And that you know that's kind of the flavor that we've got here. We've got cars that can lap 40 seconds quicker than some of the other cars in the field all sharing the track at the same time and it adds a massive complicating factor into how you run the race and how you uh how you how you you drive the race like having to having to pass slower cars it adds an absolutely different factor and having to be passed by faster cars as well and being able to not lose time or not lose track position while doing that is is something that always seems to rear its head. And I mean, we've seen some crazy moments in traffic at Lamar. I can think of one that comes to mind is when uh, we had, uh, I think it was Roman Rusinov in an LMP2 car, a, a Russian driver, a very good Russian driver, by the way, uh, came into contact with, I think it was uh, Khaled Al-Kabaisi, a, a amateur driver driving a Porsche in one of the tightest, twistiest, fastest parts of the track. And they just came together and broke each other's cars and crashed into the wall. And this was the first hour of a 24-hour race. And there you go. You've written off two cars and your race is over. Yeah, and I think uh, a very important thing to note, if you're, let's say, a Formula 1 fan being absolutely new to the sport of endurance racing or Le Mans, um, 
the blue flag rules. Uh, I, I believe in Formula One, if you see a blue flag, it's up to the last car to get out of the way to let the leaders pass. Uh, in endurance racing, the blue flags are uh, sort of like a suggestion. It's up to the faster cars to pass the lap traffic because you need to. What the what they tell the slower cars is that you need to just take your regular racing line because they want them to be predictable. They want to know where they're going instead of trying to guess on where they where they're gonna go if they're gonna let them pass or if they're just gonna be you know bullies to the other you know faster cars. So so if you see a that's why that's why you don't see uh, if if you see a blue flag in the in the lap car maybe not be getting out of the way right away. That's because they don't have to. It's up to the faster cars to get around the lap traffic. And that and that's a massive complicating factor, and that's something that does cause a few issues every now and then. But that's one of the the pleasures and joys of endurance racing. You kind of have to measure measure how aggressive you have to be at every single step of the way. Uh, so, Chris, you mentioned the the classes, the four classes that we have in this race briefly. Uh, let, let's just break them down a little bit one by one. Let, uh, let's start from the top. LMH, Le Mans Hypercar. What is this? What what is this class? Who is it for, really? Uh, the manufacturers and people who have money. <laughs> Stupid amounts <laughs> of money. Um, yeah. So basically, this is meant as. As LMP1 was unfortunately imploding on itself, L- uh, this was a solution uh, made by the ACO, and I would assume IMSA because they probably you know came together to make the regulations uh, to make LMH, which is Lamar Hypercar, which as of right now it's Toyota, Alpine, and Glickenhaus. Toyota and Alpine are I mean Toyota and Glickenhaus are actual LMH cars, while Alpine is just basically a grandfathered LMP1 just. Most likely just to fill up the grid. The ne- the next year we'll have the LMDH cars, which will just you know make things more complicated for the yeah. average viewer. Let's let's um, leave that to next year. That's a whole another conversation. Yeah. Uh, just quickly, you use that word grandfathered. Can you explain what that is? What that means in this context? Yeah, so I believe it was um, Rebellion that ran the car before. Yep, and then when the new regulations came in, which was last year. Alpine bought it because they were, and then they were going to race in the top class because they were interested or they were going to do an LMH LMDH program. So and and, and you know they of course the WEC the ACO allowed them in. You know people say it's because they're French. I would just say that because they needed a grid filler and um, because they're French. <laughs> yeah. But they've proven to be much more since they did win Sebring. People argue because, you know, BLB, you know, but we'll leave that argument for another day. But yeah, it, in, it looks bad right now in terms of, you know, if you're looking from the outside. But next year, it's going to be much more bigger than we could ever imagine. Yeah, and and the the point there is that the, the Alpine specifically is a car built to an old set of regulations that has been adjusted to fit into this new one. Whereas the Toyota and the Glickenhaus, which are bespoke to this series uh, and to this set of regulations, are new cars for this regulation. And there is some balancing. You, you made mention there of some balance of performance. There There is some balancing. And the idea is that to make sure that there's fair competition and a reduced cost of competition because um, that was one of the problems with the previous set of regulations in LMP1H is that we had some amazing races and these technological beasts but as a result 
people were, well, the manufacturers rather, were throwing money at it to the point where it became unsustainable, which is now why we're looking at a more sustainable program. Uh, and it's full of pro drivers. These cars will lap Le Mans in three minutes and 20 seconds, which for 13 and a half kilometers is pretty damn quick. Uh, and these will be, these are the ones that are facing, chasing overall honors. Uh, we got the, the two Toyotas, the two Glickenhaus cars, uh, and the Alpine in the field. Who do you expect would be the favorites out of this class? If you were to say, walk up to a random person on the, or a random person on the street, asked you who's going to win Le Mans this year, who would you tell them? I I don't know. I know they just released uh, new BOP regulations. I didn't take the time to check them out, unfortunately. I think uh, Alpine might have gotten more energy. Possibly. I don't know. But I don't know because um, I think from what we saw from Spa, uh, Toyota in the wets had extreme, pretty hard trouble getting past the lap traffic. But... Apart from, I believe it was, what, the eight car that had the hybrid issues? Yes, um, I think. It's very tough to tell because I believe Alpine might be faster, but they'll have to make more pit stops, if I'm right on that. Toyota, apart from Spa, they never really had reliability issues except for that Sebring crash. Yeah. Then, but Glickenhaus, they, were the, they won pole for Spa, but I think... They were very hard on their tires, and they just made a light pit lane mistake. Uh, I think tr- uh, switching those the slicks instead of intermediates th- towards the end there. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm gonna lean towards Toyota. I think I'm gonna cheat my way out of this one <laughs> because they're you know the big manufacturer. I think I think it's gonna be Toyota. And I I would tend to agree. Toyota have won the last th- four years on the trot now, and that is because they've been around for. A decade now. Is it a decade? Have they have Toyota really and been at Le Mans now for a decade? Jeez. Wow, that time flies. Uh so yeah, so it, they they're probably gonna be the favourites in this class. Um what about LMP two? Uh as the name implies, it's the second tier of prototype racing. But but if you're a, a someone looking at LMP two for the first time, what is it sort of there for? What what is the function of this class? You know, you know, it's kind of try to be the stepping stone to prototypes. Uh, as you see, a bunch of teams like WRT uh, came in recently just to basically know how the prototype handles before they would go onto their LMDH program, which that's kind of big news at the moment. Mm. If they're going to go towards BMW, since Audi canned program that they were expecting to happen. Um, so that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if they go with BMW for the future. That's what the signs are pointing to. Um, and they got a big team like Joda, who's been in the game for a long time. So you have all these long-term teams like Panas, uh, uh, Panas Racing, which used to be Partners Bartez. Um, let's see, TDS, which has been around for a while. It's supposed to be the stepping stone for dr- for. The- it's supposed to be like F two kind of. Yeah, I'd say I'd agree with that. But obviously, the lack of top tier prototype seats, a lot of you see a lot of pro drivers in that class because it's better than not racing at all. Um, and it probably pays more than just like a GTE AM driver <laughs> or something like that. But yeah, that's why you have such large grids because there's a lot of driver interest, I would say. 
Um, and that's why you see almost like 20 of them in the ELMS. And also, looking from the outside, um, it, it is a, basically a spec series. Orica basically has a stranglehold on the market because they made the best car. There's like three other chassis uh, manufacturers when the first when the uh, the rules were written. There's Ligier. There's du- what was it? Delara. Delara. Yeah. Riley. Although the 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 uh, Duquesne, not the Duquesne, uh, the Delara and the Ligier both won races. Uh, I believe. Lama was really the deciding factor because the, clearly the Oreca was OP on, the, I believe, was it the straight line speed? It was, um, I think the the Oreca is just the best all-round car. I mean, the, yeah. Delara, the Delara had its well-publicized porpoising problems, which people with uh, who are watching F1 at the moment are becoming very familiar with. Uh, and the Ligier just seemed to miss something in its setup that it wasn't as consistent for as long as the Orica. And so for, for those who are looking at the entry list, uh, there are 27 cars in the LMP2 class, of which 26 are Orica 07s, uh, with the lone Ligier driven by CD Sport. So it's it's quite a, uh, quite a, yeah, you could almost call it a spec series. On the other hand, though, 26 cars in a single class, that's basically a full grid of cars uh, that any other series would have. Uh, you've got three drivers in each car, of course. Some of the names in this class, Chris, are just ridiculous. You have former Formula One drivers like Robert Kubica and Felipe... Uh, no, sorry, Felipe Nasser didn't get into F1, but he was very, very close. Um Guys from the... Wait, hold on, what did you say? Felipe Nasser? Yeah, no, he did get into F1, didn't he? Yeah, it was sober. Yeah, of course. How could I be so 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 rude? <laughs> My sincere apologies, Felipe. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, like... Uh, F1 feeder series talent like uh, very uh, very well known uh, Sophia Flush, of course. Um, Louis Delatraz. Uh, uh, yeah, Lorenzo Carombo. Uh, Charles Malesi, who's been making a lot of waves at the moment. Uh, there's just it's just an incredibly stacked group of drivers. You've got guys from the very top of sports cars, Robin Freins, Rene Rast, uh, Dries Vantor making his uh, I think his debut. No. Yes, in uh, LMP2 at Le Mans. You know, Job van Oetert, who's a, a former F1 feeder series driver. Uh, is there anyone from IndyCar in the LMP2 class that jumps out at your at your name? Uh, can't be any active IndyCar drivers because they're racing at Road America the same weekend. Ah, of course. Well, there's um, other names like Pietro Fittipaldi as well. But the real thing about this class is... The, the AM driver component. Really, the thing about LMP2 is that is it is the fastest that a regular human being who is not a professional race driver can go around a racetrack. These things are ridiculous. They're powered by a, a, a V8 engine. A, a, it's, a, it's a Gibson... It's a 5-litre it's a Gibson that produces something like 650 horsepower, and they're reliable as anything. They're all built to a, a specification. So every single car has the same engine and drivetrain. Um, we made mention about the chassis. But really, the, the, the amateur driver in this class is one of the key components. Uh, and it, when we say amateur, we mean some dude literally is just paying money to drive in this race. That doesn't mean that they're a bad driver. We have some incredible amateur drivers in this field. Mm-hmm. Um but it is just like, if you want, you can just 
spend a bunch of money and race at Le Mans. Uh, like, for example, uh, an example I love, uh, David Hennemeyer Hansen is in this race. And for those who maybe have IT experience or coding experience, uh, he is the uh, designer, inventor of Ruby on Rails. And he spends his spare money racing sports cars, which is nuts. Yeah, and then you have guys like, uh, let's see here. Well, we, we used to have Fritz Van Ert, which he was, what, the owner of the Jumbo supermarket chain in the Netherlands? Yeah, like, how wild is that? And uh, he's in another class, but Ben Keating, like, he believe, I believe he owns a bunch of dealerships in Texas. Then, then you have um, the most, more obvious examples in the past, like uh, Patrick Dempsey, you know, act big acting career, just wanted to go racing, and Porsche was like, let's go. And, and now we're doing the same, seeing the same with uh, Michael Fast. Oh, you ruined the surprise! I was going to build up to that. That's okay, that's okay. Um, we'll come to that a bit more when we talk about GTM. Um, just the final thing we wanted to mention about LMP2 is that these cars are quick. These cars are so quick. How fast do you reckon an LMP2 gets around Lamar, Chris? Uh, going to piss a lot of people off. Faster than an LMH if they weren't restricted. Oh, you are not wrong, yeah. my friend. Um, but that is another conversation for another time. Um, these cars can get around Lamar in about 3 minutes and 27 seconds in their current trim, which is still kind of wild. Like, that's, that's, that's as fast as the top level of prototypes from 10 years ago, which is kind of scary to say, isn't it? Kind of scary to think about. I think the argument for, because I think they were becoming too quick, in my opinion, because first of all, this is supposed to be like a pro-am category. You got to think of the amateurs who are going to step in and drive these cars. If it becomes too fast, where they're not able to drive them, Obviously, the AMs, you know, they're, they're paying so much money, they want to have a fast car. But if, they're, if it's, like, way too fast for them that they're going to feel uncomfortable in, then they're not going to pay the money to drive the car. So, I don't know how if I'm just making this a bigger issue than what it is. Um, but I do think that, you know, on paper, like, the LMP2 class shouldn't be as fast as the top-tier prototype, you know. It it just shouldn't be done. That's why uh, on, for, for on face, you know, they have to slow them down. You know, to make them make sure that they're slower than the top tier prototype cars. I know some people out there, you know, want them to run unrestricted and compete for overall. But that's not possible because you know manufacturers would make a fuss, rightly so. They're paying all this money; they won't be on, on the top. So it's yeah, LMP2 has put itself into a. Uh, into a pickle with how fast they allowed these cars to be. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you in the in the realms that it's kind of in a weird spot at the moment. But you've got to say, twenty seven cars is super healthy in terms of uh, in terms of a grid. These cars are still as awesome to drive and as awesome to watch race as they were when they were fully unrestricted. Yeah, don't get me wrong; it's still very fun racing. I mean, we see it in the ELMS all the time. IMSA's getting better. Well, you know, <laughs> that, that's not saying much. But really, like, if you want to see very good LMP2 racing, ELMS is the way to go because that's where most of the focus is. You'll be able to see most of the action. WEC also has good racing in the LMP2 category. And then Le, Le Mans is going to be no different. I mean, last year, 
the race wasn't decided until the final lap. And not, not, even, not even the final lap, the literally the final sequence of corners. And it was quite... Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, it was quite controversial in the end and it involved uh, someone, the, the flag waver almost getting taken out by a car that went two or three wide across the finish line. But it was, it was a very... In- a very weird set of circumstances uh, that led to that point. But yeah, down to the very throw, last throws of the dice. Um, we'll talk about uh, the amateur factor when we talk about GTEM, but there is also a pro GTE class. Now, GT, of course, is a, a term that we've come to know very well in motorsport, meaning those cars that you wish... You, the, the cars that you had posters of up on your wall as a kid. Uh, GTE Pro, Chris, who's racing here? And what sort of crazy stuff have they got underneath their wheels? So these are they're basically a GTE Pro. Uh, the Pro comes from the drivers. So it's basically whatever driver ranking uh, the drivers are. It's not necessarily the cars. So you can theoretically come in with maybe an older style Porsche. But if you have all Pro drivers, then you're going to be lumped into Pro. That's, you know, hypothetical situation. Um, But yeah, I mean, we got Ferraris, Corvettes, and Porsches this year. This will be the final year of the GTE Pro class, as next year it'll just be GTE Am, as they slowly let people out of the GTE cars they have as they transition to GT3 in, what, 2024? Um, I think that's the plan as of right now. No no idea if they're going to just do regular GT3 or... Do something a little bit, a little bit different. We'll probably find out more in next Friday's press conference. Mm. Uh, so that that'll be, that'll be an interesting one to watch. But yeah, you got drivers, you know, longtime Corvette guys like Tommy Milner. If you've been watching IMSA, that'll name that'll stick out to you. Daniel Serra, stock car Brazil champion, multiple times over, and been racing Ferraris for probably he's probably more known as a uh, Ferrari driver than a. Stock car Brazil champion. Nowadays, yeah. And he also won Le Mans his first time out with Aston Martin. Remember that? That is true. I do remember that. They collided. They had a collision with the Corvette on the last lap. I remember that. That was very exciting. Then, I mean, there's probably E drivers and, you know, IMSA drivers. And uh, we'll get more in-depth on the drivers in the GTE Pro uh, or the GT section. Uh, they'll come out later this week. But yeah, basically all pro drivers. Oh, Shane Van Gisberg, and that's a, that's a, that's one of the bigger ones. It's also driving in the GT Pro class with the Riley Motorsports Ferrari, and that is a, that is super duper interesting. Yeah, and that's got uh, Felipe Fraga and Sam Bird, who was a Formula E champion as well as a uh, was he ever a Formula One test driver as well. No, I don't have that much F1 knowledge. <laughs> someone, someone can fact check that for us. Uh, but yeah, that is going to be a super duper interesting car. And uh, I've got a confirmation that he was uh, from Williams and he didn't win the Formula E championship. He just got very, very close. So it is all about the pro drivers in GTE Pro, as the name suggests. That's also pro teams as well. So you have the likes of AF Corsa running the Ferraris, who have been running Ferraris for decades. You've got Corvette Racing bringing their factory team. You've got the Porsche GT team, the Manti Porsche team running that car. On the flip side, though, you have GTE Am. Now, these are all the same machines. They're all the same cars as you have in GTE Pro, but the the amateur driver requirement really changes it up. So in the GTE Am cars, 
of your three drivers, you must have one driver that is rated bronze, which is the lowest FIA driver rating, and one driver that is rated silver, which is the second lowest driver rating. Those two categories are classed as AM drivers, and then your gold and your platinum drivers. So, of course, anyone who's driving in a Formula 1 is a platinum. Anyone who's driving in uh, IndyCar is at least a gold, I think. Um, so, you know, anyone driving in Formula E is probably at least a gold, probably more likely a platinum. So you'd probably know who a, a platinum driver is, but you probably might not know who a silver or a bronze driver is. And Chris, that really changes the strategy and the sort of feel of this this class as well. Yeah, it evolves into different types of strategies. Like some teams will try to get the AM driver uh, drive time done early. So that way they can just have the, the two better drivers in the car for the rest of the race. Some will try to time it out. They'll get like a bigger gap with the pro drivers in the car for the AM to work with. So that way they won't lose as much positions. Uh, so it, it very, it's very interesting how different strategies evolve and it really can let the AM drivers shine if really that good. Like Ben Keating, for example, like if he's, if he's in the car, even if there's like other pro drivers, you know, that are in the cars, you know, by him, I mean, he could still put up a competitive fight. Like, he's not going to lose chunks of time against the pro drivers. So he's one of the biggest steals, um, if you can get him, um, of, the, of, the, of the entire class. And it, it's not like he's only done GT racing. Like, he's, he's won LMP2 stuff mm. in IMCA, but you can't take away those achievements either. So the, guy, the guy's a real good driver. And then... You also have other drivers such as um, I'm trying to think of some other known good drivers here. That are here in in well, let's have a look at some of the pro drivers in this class. And there's there's two that always kind of wig me out a little bit. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, Giancarlo Fisichella, so former F1 driver uh, Giancarlo Fisichella races an M Ferrari. He's racing with the Iron Lynx team this time round. While he's looking for the car. Uh, Nick Cassidy is also racing. Uh, former Super, I believe, Super GT and Super Formula champion. Multiple time New Zealand Grand Prix winner. And he's finally made it over to Europe to race, uh, I believe, full season in WEC. Also, uh, most of the season in uh, DTM with the AlphaTauri Ferrari uh, uh, GT3. He is in the number 54 AF Corsa car, and he's driving with Francesco Catalaki and Thomas Floor, which that's not a, a, in the GTE AM lineup. That's not exactly the worst car on the grid. So, it, it, it's, yeah. and it's very much an interesting sort of uh, conundrum because these AM drivers uh, they have to do six hours in the car, so they have to do at least a quarter of the race. And how you kind of get around that uh, and manage that, uh, you know, compared to the conditions of the track, the conditions of the tires, the strategy, what other cars are doing on track. It's all a very complex little game. And we've seen some teams do a really, really good job of it. And we've seen some teams do a really, really bad job of it. Uh, but this is really a, a class where the AM drivers win the race for you. And you've already mentioned Ben Keating. Of course, he had that great run in the Ford GT a few years ago, where the strategy for them was that they back-loaded all of Keating's drive time, got a massive lead with their pro drivers, and then had Keating do something like his all six of his... Uh, 
all six of his hours um, after sunrise on Sunday. Uh, and they ended up crossing the line first, but then got excluded after it was found that their fuel tank was too large. So uh, quite an unfortunate, uh, quite an unfortunate end to them. But as you may mention, Keating held off some pro drivers to win uh, to cross the line first. He actually fought with some of the other pro drivers and won. Uh, so that's that is why a, a good bronze driver, a good amateur driver, can win you the race. Yeah, exactly. It's all about picking your drivers. And, you know, obviously some teams don't have a choice. Mm. You know, a driver comes with the money. Uh, you're going to take the money. Um, yeah, so pretty much. That's, that's, that's how it goes sometimes. But we don't want to give away all the details in GT Miami. We got to give some people, we got to give uh, people some reason to come back to the GT podcast preview blood. Yeah. And if, if you want to know more about the, the specifics of the cars, the driver lineups, the teams, um, we will be. Uh, Attacking onto this, uh, coming out later this week, a full breakdown of each car, team, and driver. Uh, first for both of the prototype classes, LMH and LMP2, and then for both of the GT classes, uh, which will come out later this week. They will end up about two hours each, so we we go pretty in depth into where all these cars have come from and who's driving them and where where you may have heard their names or why they're important. So keep an eye out for that if you're looking to get a bit more. Um, interested in some of the stories because that's the thing for me that I like about the multi-class aspect and specifically about the AM classes. You know, while these drivers aren't the best in the world, while we do have people who own... Uh, own dealerships of cars that they're trying to sell and they race those cars on the weekend or we have CEOs of companies that do this as their spare time. It's really cool that they get to share their story. They get to be a part of the story of a 24-hour event um, because, and, and that's that to me is, is part of the character and part of the color of a, a race like this. It's not always just about the overall and the, you know, the, the pinnacle. It's also about the, the little pieces and the little details that make up the whole. And, you know, we've seen some of the amateur drivers have marked effects on the end of the race just by being in the way sometimes and sometimes by not being in the way sometimes they they do an awesome job and uh you know they um they have their own little piece of the story because of how cool they were or or something notable that happened to them like i think um there was that one year that the italian uh delara the the settler racing car they filmed a documentary about their journey at the race where they crashed on thursday and spent a whole day repairing that car to finish in the top 10. Like, that's awesome. And there's just multiple different ways for you um, to really kind of get involved and maybe have a team to root for. Like like you said, the Italian uh, Delara. You know, when Audi was racing, they did those Truth in 24 documentaries, which are very good. Both of them are on YouTube, I believe, officially. Mm. Um, and then you had uh, Porsche, who made that documentary about doing both Lamont and the Nürburgring. And then there's like other ways teams can, through social media involvement. Um, I believe, I uh, can't remember which team it, it was. I believe Joda and uh, Nielsen Racing. They kind of, they kind of like the meme on their Twitter accounts. So <laughs> yeah. You know, you know they, they, they see that. They see, you know, oh, this, you know, they, they like to have fun. They'll, they'll, they, maybe they'll root for them because of that. It's it's very very fun, and then when when there's like sixty cars on the grid, uh, it, it's very hard to uh, not even you know find a team to root for. Yeah, absolutely, and and for each of those sixty cars on the grid, 
they've got their own story and i think that's one of the coolest parts uh and of course their their own story is about getting to this racetrack and getting around the three and a half kilometers uh 13 and a half kilometers rather of the french countryside chris we made mention of it it's half public road half purpose-built racetrack it's got a lot of character it's pretty unique in terms of the world of motorsports nowadays a lot of the tracks that uh have been around for as long as Lamar have have either been you know shortened or uh, chopped up and changed into their modern selves or they've been discontinued and disused Lamar is is kind of special in that it's not unchanged since the very beginning but it still has that terrific character of the of the start what, what are the key characteristics of a lap around Lamar absolutely like my my, my favorite bits in term in terms of watching it at home um, I just love from basically from Indianapolis to the finish. Uh, I think that's one of my favorite sections because I, I love the, the camera camera shot of them coming into the permanent part of the track from the highway. Um, and then in, Indianapolis is just they just go very fast into that swift right hander, then go into that banked left hander, and then right after that Arnage, which you know that's a very tricky corner. Lots of people make mistakes there, and then you know, then they have that straight, and you take a little, you know, a little left, and you take that right onto the permanent part of the circuit, and then Porsche curves now leads you to the Porsche Cane to the finish line. I think, I don't know, that's just my personal opinion. Not really any, you know, scientific evidence to back <laughs> this one up, but I, I, I just like that part of the track um, for some reason. I know people like Tetra Rouge. I think um, that's my know, favorite corner. I'm going to make a lot of people mad for this. It's now the Daytona chicane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first chicane. Uh, yes. I love, love the sponsorship and the, the look at us. We're all combined together. Um, yeah, it's it, that that particular section. The the permanent racetrack is very very cool and part of the track that has changed over the past few years, particularly, but also has, was brought in in the uh, I think late seventies uh, to try and change that profile of the corner. Uh, for me, it's the, the technological challenge to even get around this track. You know, you, you're getting from uh, less than a hundred kilometers per hour up to three hundred plus kilometers per hour in any type of car. It doesn't matter if you're a GT or a prototype. You're hitting three hundred k's per hour. Slowing all that down to get through the the tighter corners, the the Mulsan chicanes, Mulsan corner, Arnage, uh, each time, and then building back up straight again. You know, you're doing this three, three, four, five times a lap, depending on what car you're driving, and it really tests the limit of the technology. And that's you know part of the keys of this event is that you're testing the limits of technology, whether that be you know have you got the car set up for driver comfort to be able to survive that long to hit the curbs and to get get across the track or will the car break in those sections or will the transmission fall to pieces or will the engine survive it's it's a really complicated uh complicated problem to solve and it's not just uh you're not just doing it once you're doing it for 24 hours straight you know at the end of the race what's the what's the distance record here something like five five thousand three hundred kilometers like that's an F1 season in, in one race. It's very insane. You, I don't know. It's, it's very, uh, when you put it that way, you, because there, there's the four big endurance races, right? right? So in, in four days, we watch four entire F1 seasons. I don't know what the hell we're doing for the <laughs> 
yeah, when you put it that way, it is kind of nuts. <laughs> and, and then as well, you, you know, you add to that you, the fact that half of it is public road, and it's not just public road; it's the main highway between Le Mans and Mulsanne. And I made mention of that. Uh, it used to be before they resurfaced it that the track had these sort of tram lines in it from the the trucks that would actually sink into the road. So Alan McNish tells the story that there's a certain part of the road that you used to have to cross over to get out of the tram tracks without damaging the car. So you'd have to do that, you know, almost 400 times in a race, you know, make sure that you get across the, the, the right part of the road so you don't damage the undertray of your car. Um, you know, you're going from day to twilight to sunset you know, sun setting straight into the eyes of the driver uh, to full night, full darkness, and then back into day again. And then when you get back into day again, you've still got eight hours of racing left to go. Uh, it's it's You've got these combination of flowing corners like Turte Rouge, the Forest S's, and the Porsche Curves, and then these, you know, sharp just flow breakers like Arnage, which is like 60 kilometers an hour. And there's literally someone's house on the exit of that corner. There's no runoff because then you'd be in that guy's front yard. Like, it's, it's not just mental. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a uh, European rally stage without, you know, without all the barricades. <laughs> so, so what, what is your favorite part of the track? Like what, what is the, what is your favorite like corner of, of this, of this track? trying to think here I, I like indianapolis that, that that's one because that was the first one that really fascinated me was watching when i was a kid um because of the of, of course the indianapolis moniker because of the indianapolis motor speedway being a huge part of the american racing culture uh, it, but also like it's like it's apart from zandvoort it's mm. it's not that common to see a european circuit have that banking mm, absolutely so uh, that, that's what intrigued me i think that's my favorite yeah i i agree i reckon it's up there but i think my favorite is Turt rouge you know you, you you come over a little bit of a rise you're dropping and then you're hitting this it's not quite a kink but it's also not quite not a kink it's it's actually a proper corner that you've got to then try and aim and hit perfectly and then get the throttle on as hard as you can to get down the Mulsanne straight. It's, it's just one of those, uh, one of those just incredible corners when you get it right. And when you get it wrong, it, it bites back. Uh, what about 24 hours, Chris, 24 hours around this track? How, how do you watch a 24 hour race? This is a question I get a lot from friends of mine who are into F1. Like, how do you watch a 24 hour race? What do you do? Like personally? What I'll do is I'll get live timing up and I'll watch. I'll have I'll watch it uh, intently for the first couple of hours, and then basically what I'll do is that um like I'll have other rate like because focusing on one thing for twenty four hours scientifically impossible, right? <laughs> yeah, fair. your mind is gonna wander and drift somewhere else. Um, this is just me being uh, the racing autist that I am. I would I will have other different races that are on screen. So like during Lamar, I will have NASCAR trucks at Sonoma, potent probably F two at Baku, and and, and they'll just be on the smaller screens. Lamar Lamar will still be on the big screen, but then if Lamar is kind of having a low moment, I can go and focus on those races. But I'll still have live timing up, you know, somewhere else we can still kind of keep track. For for also, for people who are new to sports cars, don't don't think you have to do what Chris is doing. Chris is 
special yeah. in the best way possible. <laughs> um, no, normal answer would be, uh, watch like watch the first couple hours of the race, do something else, like t- you know, take a walk, you know, do some other stuff, and just keep track of it, you know, intermittently. And also, personally, uh, I I uh, participate in the Discord. Uh, I do it in. We have a voice chat that's normally active during the big twenty-four hour races, and that's where I usually spend my time. You know, with the community, we have a good fun. We have lots of good fun. Share a couple laughs and t- chat about the race there. So that's that's what I usually do. I I love that this community here, and we're talking about the the community based out of the Reddit slash uh slash WEC uh. Uh, community, the subreddit, and then the Discord that's a part of that as well, uh, which you can find. What is our link? Uh, what is our link? What is our even server called? Uh, who cares? It's the r slash WEC Discord server. Uh, I love that we can switch from random shit posting about basically whatever we're talking about and f- to on a dime be straight into when something is important because a, a 24 hour race will have its lull moments, won't it? It's not going to be action packed for 24 hours straight. Right, and it, it brings people from all over the world together. I mean, look in this Discord server and the amount of diversity we have. Uh, we have people from Hong Kong, Malaysia, Bahrain, you know, Australia, New Zealand, all sorts of different European countries, uh, Canada, America, UK, Poland, just naming a few. We have a bunch of more people from around the world, and it's very, interesting, it's very awesome to see the mixture of all those, you know, country that peoples are from and just you know and share one thing and that's endurance racing so if you if you were telling a first-time watcher what what is the if you if you if you had to pick three parts of the race to tell them to watch like sit down and watch this part of the race what would you say when when would you say to sit down and watch the start uh sunset and uh the finish I I agree, start and finish certainly, but I would also say happy hour. So for those who who don't know, happy hour is the twenty minutes to forty or twenty minutes before sunrise to about forty minutes after, where it just seems like the track switches on, and that's always you know that sunrise over the top of the the Dunlop Bridge and just the lap times, the pace of the race. That's that's for me. That's the best time to watch. We got we got Kiwi Chris saying in the live chat the start the middle and the end and I think yeah well that's that's also three good three good options. I, I know something that I've done in the past uh, which I don't necessarily recommend but it is something interesting to try is that you could try to team no sleep uh, the twenty four hours long. Have you ever done the team no sleep, Chris? Uh, back when I was a teenager, I used to do them. Um, n- nowadays, I usually try to get like three or four hours of sleep because. Uh, I, I usually felt so dead by the end of those. I barely remember what happened in the race. So, I, I, I basically I, I try every year but fail every time. <laughs> and it's all it's always a risk as well if you if you do try and go for the team no sleep that if you fall asleep with like two or three hours left that you're gonna miss the finish. And I've luckily not been in that boat before, but I know too many people who have. So yep, that was me in 2016. Oof! Oh, yeah. ima- oh, so. Uh, let's tell that story then. 2016, possibly the most dramatic finish to a motor race ever? Ever? I'm struggling to think of anything that would be more dramatic, truth be told. What happened at the end of that 2016 race? 
2011 Indy 500 might rival that. Okay, I, I'm not an IndyCar fan, so I don't know the context for that. Um, but for 2016, we had three actually competitive cars in the top class. We had Audi, we had Toyota, and we had Porsche, and they were all very close on pace. And it looked like Toyota, you know, after decades of trying to win this race, were in, in the box seat. You know, they had a car with about a minute and a half's lead through the fir- uh, through the last part of the race and they were going to be the first manufacturer or the second manufacturer ever to win uh based out of Asia at Le Mans um and they were going to be the fir- it was going to be the first time in their program that they'd ever won and then then it all kind of fell apart so what happened I don't even know what happened to me I think they, they, what what was like a battery issue or something or I think it was, what I heard was that it was a, a turbo clamp, effectively a $5 part in the context of this, this car. So they started the last, they got halfway through the penultimate lap. So this is two, uh, 23 hours, 57 minutes on the clock. And the car starts running out of power. It, it There's no throttle response. The car's getting going into limp mode. It's not going to make the finish. It crosses the line with 20, uh, 23 hours, 58 minutes completed. And stops on the on the on the main straight. You know this is going to be their moment. They got the whole crew on the pit wall, flat people, packed grandstands, worldwide audience. It stops dead on the main straight in front of the finish line, just dead, completely dead. The Porsche who was trailing it comes past and passes it for the lead of the race with ninety seconds left in the race. Uh, then the car, the Toyota, stays there. And doesn't move while the Porsche gets around the final lap. The clock ticks to zero and Porsche won the race. Um, and it turns out, yeah, it was a turbo clamp that put the uh, that disconnected the turbo and the computer put the car into limp mode. And there are some harrowing photos of the car parked on the pit lane, or like on the pit wall at, at the finish line with the Porsche taking the checkered flag like five meters away. <laughs> And, and that's where we got the sad gazoo emote on our WC Discord server. It's yeah, it's one of those moments that like that was what six years ago now, and still, whenever I look at the highlights from that race, knowing how it ends is like you you had people, you had fans, like there was a bunch of us in the in the in the uh, the IRC chat at the time who were in tears. I was in tears, and I'm not even a Toyota fan. I was a Porsche fan. Um, it's just, it's just one of those stories that it's just so dramatic in in how it finishes. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's, that's, that's part of the context for this event. And that's also, you know, why people have been happy that Toyota have been, ooh, happy is a strong word. They've been content that Toyota have been winning because they've got done the hardship because it wasn't just then when the, uh, Toyota have finished second or, you know, not finished when they arguably should have won. It, it, it became a bit of a running joke for a while that, you know, uh, Toyota just weren't able to win this race. Le Mans just wouldn't let them win. And, you know, what What are some other examples of just Le Mans not letting Toyota win? Was it like the late 90s with their GTP or something? Or GT1? When they were chasing the BMW for the lead of the race and got a puncture with 20 minutes left? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, also, 2014, they, had, they were leading the race in the middle of the night and had a FIA wiring loom so a series like a, a part a part that was 
stock across the whole series made by the series uh it melted and, and basically shut the car off and they couldn't get back to the pit lane so they just died out on circuit in the middle of the night while leading the race then 2017 were did they have two or three cars that year i think it might have been only two they had three but one of them had already been ta- uh, taken out with problems um because it was the middle of the night and i remember vincent capillaire he was in an orange driver suit and he when the toyota was in the pit lane he for some reason gave toyota a thumbs up and one of the the driver that was in the car thinking that was the marshal you know thought okay it's time to go and believe they had like a what a bad they broke the clutch doing that yeah because they were under safety car yeah what was that? Because they were under safety car, so the pit lane, the right. pit exit was closed. So they were waiting at pit exit, and then yeah, the, the driver thought he got a thumbs up to go, and only realized after he crossed the exit line that he wasn't meant to go. Tried to stop the car and destroyed the clutch. And then the other one just uh, just stopped on track, and it was all within what thirty minute span. And yeah, so Toyota went from leading with two cars to another DNF, a triple DNF. <laughs> yeah, that was the year LMP2 could have won. Yeah, and that's and that's a story as well. Like that year, so 2017, uh, only one of well, I mean, the, you know, you had Porsche versus Toyota. Um, the Porsche, one of the Porsches had a hybrid problem, which meant that they took an hour to repair a hybrid system at the front of the car, um, and then. Uh, the other car ran pretty well flawlessly, but it was just a little bit slower than the Toyotas. The Toyotas had their problems and dropped out. So the second Porsche was leading the race and then broke down with four hours left. So all of a sudden you had the LMP2 class leading the race and the Porsche, the one that had a problem earlier in the race, chasing back through the field to try and win. And I think it only ended up making the pass for the lead with like 40 minutes left or something. It was remarkably close for a race that should have been easily done. Yeah, I believe it was within the two-hour period because it was the Jackie Chan DC racing car that was uh, in the lead. And that car still ended up second overall. Um, and also, other, also, also nice, they're going to be back racing next year in IMSA. It's going to be nice to see them again. But yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was a crazy race in terms of what happened. I mean... You went from you know, Toyota's leading very well to them just breaking down. Then you, you only took you need only needed one more LMP1 car for an LMP2 to lead, and that's exactly what happened. And it's part of the one of those things. Looking back on that race now, you know, I remember being in the live chat and people feeling deflated, like, "Oh, this is just another you know Porsche victory. Everyone else has failed. It's kind of boring." But all of a sudden, it was like that when as soon as the, the number one car had had its problem and parked up by the side of the road, it was like the race was energized again. And it kind of brings me to the next question I wanted to ask you, Chris. What makes a good 24-hour race? Like, does it have to be constant battling all the time? Or, you know, does, does the, do the leaders have to run into trouble? Or, or what makes a good 24-hour race when you're trying to watch a race like Le Mans? There's multiple different parts to what makes a good 24-hour race. I think it also depends on the person. Um, because constant battling does help. I think, you know, I think that marks a check uh, marks a check mark in everyone's book. Um, but there's also maybe personal attachment to the car. Like, let's say Glickenhaus was leading and, you know, you know, 
third during the race, that will, you know, that will grab people's attention. That will make people want to tune in. Um, because obviously, Glickenhaus never won a WBC race, never won the mob before, privateer entry. So, so for, for some people, if they end up, you know, leading all, even if they, let's say, dominate the race, that's still going to be a good 24 hour race for people because, you know, the story behind it. Um, it's like, for example, at the, at the Nürburgring, if, like, say, Aston Martin didn't crash out, you know, if they were like leading well into the morning hours, a lot I would bet a lot of people would be more interested because it would mean a non-German brand leading the race with like what four hours to go. It'll keep people's attention for sure. It it it, it just really depends. The constant battling helps, but I also think a person's rooting interest uh, and uh, on how well they're doing can also play a part. I yeah, I tend to agree. It's 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 something that. It... You know, as I said earlier, every single car here has a story, and some stories might be more obvious than others, and some stories might be more, uh, you know, flashy than others. But really, for all of the teams in LMP2 and in GTM, the the teams that have you know worked hard and either won their entry through winning a championship or have been lucky enough to get invited uh, to to the series. You know, for some teams, their goal will be winning the race. For some teams, their goal will be placing. For some teams, their goal was to get to Le Mans. The fact that they're even there is a story in itself. And it's, it's one of those things that sometimes the action on track, even if it is, you know, at a fever pitch, can take a back seat to the story that someone's taken to get there. And I think that for me, that's, one of the more important parts of of this event is the stories that it takes to get there. But then on the other hand, you have 27 cars in LMP2 fighting to to win the race and we've seen some cracking battles in LMP2 and the 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 way that the strategies converge together as well is something that I think uh is far more interesting than people give it credit for. Uh because, for example, in Formula One, uh, you've got only the really the tire strategy is is how strategy gets undertaken. But you know, in in sports cars, you might make a decision in hour four that doesn't play out until hour twenty four or something along those lines. You know, you you have these sort of marker points that can completely change a race. And when you track them back, you go, oh well, they made this decision here and here and here, you know, hours ago, yesterday, that have changed the, the face of the race. And I think that's something that's that's really, really cool. And, uh, you know, it's it's that's part of what I think makes a good 24-hour race. What, what do you reckon is the best Le Mans race that you've watched? Because you, how, how long have you been watching Le Mans, Chris? Trying to think. Basically, I think from like 2015 onwards, like uh, really in-depth into it. Yeah, so so it's in those eight editions. What do you reckon's been your favorite, and why? Oh, that's tough. Um, I don't know. I have a really bad problem with uh, kind of remembering the entirety of races <laughs> in the past. I would say probably 2017 because we also had that Porsche, uh, not Porsche, Aston versus Corvette battle. Um, towards the end, I, I believe that was the race. That was the same yeah, race. Yeah, that's the same one. That that one sticks out in my mind, and obviously, um, with all the LMP ones, I I I think, I think that one sticks out to be the most. I think I'm gonna have to go 2017. That was really cool. Uh, that GT battle because it kind of 
only started to spice up when the 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 prototype battle had kind of finished so it was you had this tension build up for the prototype battle and then you saw the porsche make the move to the lead and you go okay so porsche are gonna win and you know you still got 40 minutes 50 minutes left in the race and then it's like okay so what what else can we see and then you just had this bubbling tension in the gte class that kind of boiled over right at that very point that's that's a good good pick i i quite like that for me I think I've been watching this of this race since 2009, I think, was the first time I really paid attention to it. Um, and I've got to say that my favorite was probably 2015, which was the first win for Porsche on their return. Um, and won by Nico Hockenberg uh, and El Bamber and Nick Tandy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and the reason I like that one so much is because I think it was... The, 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 oh, I don't want to say that the most boringly endurance, but it was like, it was, it was one of those races where every little decision kind of played its way out. And that's, that's what made it so interesting. You know, of course, being a Porsche fanboy, I love the fact that Porsche came back and won the fact that it was with its third car of the group that they brought, you know, with the, with the brand new drivers and the formula one star, it was kind of uh, a bit of a, a bit of a weird group to, to sort of, you know, you had the two factory cars that were already there. And then you had the third car, the add on the, the, you know, the, the bonus car that ended up winning the race. Um, so that was, that was a really cool one. And then like in the GT classes as well, uh, I just remember some of, some of the battles in that GT class, um, were phenomenal that weekend. Uh, and also it's got one of my, favorite hard luck stories at Lamar as well. And that is the hard luck story of Paul Dallalana, who is racing in this year's edition as well. Um, Paul Dallalana is a CEO of a health company, a healthcare property company in Canada that like manages uh, hospitals and stuff like that. He is a big Canadian bear is the way that I'd put it. And the kindest human being on this planet. Um, Do you know what happened to him at the end of the 2015 race? Didn't he, didn't he crash and buy the Ford chicane? Yes, yes, he did. The car was leading yeah. the race with 45 minutes left and he was put in to do the last stint. It was basically a series of parade laps and he missed the brake pedal in the final corner with about 40 minutes left and put his foot on the accelerator in, by accident and hit the wall and crashed his car out. And that's that sucks. That sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> Them's the brakes, kid. Yeah, uh, and and that's like that's just that's just what happened. That's the hard luck story of of that. You can be perfect for twenty three hours, and all it takes is one mistake to kind of ruin it. And I think that's as well um, part of part of the allure of an event like this is that it's not just you know a sprint race. You don't have to be just on the money for two hours or one hour or fifteen minutes or whatever. It's a, a full team of drivers, mechanics. Uh, engineers that have to be on the ball for 24 hours straight you can't make a mistake for that long um so yeah i think 2015 is my favorite um what else what else can we talk about uh if you uh, let me try that again if you had any advice for someone watching for the first time chris what would you say to them uh be open-minded uh sports car racing is definitely a unique beast of its own uh but we we all know it's complicated uh so also ask questions um, if you're curious, curious about something, if you want to know something, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, 
you know, we, we want people to be involved more in the sport. We're, we're more happy to answer any of any of the questions you, uh, people may have, especially if they're so new. Because what people really need to be reminded of is that sports car racing, like I said, is complicated. Uh, and anybody who is, nobody should be mad or annoyed that someone who is new uh, that comes in, you know, asks is the uh, not asks asks the questions, you know, because as for us has been maybe watching for maybe five, six, seven more or more years, you know, and know all this stuff, and think it's all oh it's so simple. For the people coming in, they might not. So we just gotta be kind of more open um, and just ask whatever questions people may have. Also, um, another thing is uh, timing. It, timing will be a definite help because if there's when there's four classes going on at the same time, uh, it's tough. It's tough sometimes to follow all four just what the stream is showing. Yeah, and and what um, you mean by that as well is the the live timing, basically the the lap times I, and the gaps and all that sort of stuff, and that's something you can access on the WEC website. Um, so it is free to access. I know that for example, F1 has their timing locked away behind a paid service, but it is free for the WEC, and that will basically means that you'll be able to see what the lap times are and what the gaps are without the TV having to show it to you, which for some people uh, is really, really good. I know a lot of people who are super data-driven and really get a lot of kick out of that. In fact, one of my friends, he doesn't watch racing, but he used to, when the F1 timing was free, watch the timing screens with his dad to sort of figure out what was happening, which is super-duper interesting. Um, And in saying that, though, don't feel like you have to if you're finding it overwhelming, it is just fine to sit back and watch the stream. Yep, exactly. And if you want to be more in-depth into it, if you want to be more involved, uh, there's also uh, our Fantasy WBC. Um, basically, the website is like, I believe, if you just type in Fantasy Endurance, uh, Google search, it'll be one of the top results. It's uh, from our own N.W. Clarkson, a little fantasy game he puts up with the big endurance races that r slash WC covers. And you get to pick a car, uh, one car in each class. So that's another way to get involved. That way you pick your cars. And that way you'll have uh, someone to root for, you know, if, for each class if you don't have uh, a rooting interest already. And I think that's a, that's a really key point as well because it is very difficult to follow all four classes at once. But having a reason to actually care about the other races that are happening is, you know, it's something that helps make it make a bit more sense because if you don't for example if you don't follow what's happening in gtm that's a a quarter of the the race that you're missing out on uh so just if you have a peek at the entry list and you see a driver that you like or a team that you like or if they're in a car that you like or if you find the spotters guide um and you see a livery that you like you just try and sort of follow that car around and see how it's going and that kind of to me that would be the one piece of advice i'd give people uh that are new uh so if you're coming from formula one or indycar or supercars or other forms of racing just pick a car in each class and and kind of track how it goes uh and that will make the event seem a lot more complete i i think and also whenever anything happens you'll be able to complain about your pick falling apart like all of us do in the wec server Mm -hmm. um Another thing I'd mention as well is uh, if you do need to step away or if you do need to take a break, and that is absolutely 
100% okay. Um, there are a few uh, news outlets that put together articles and race updates. Um, so, of course, Daily Sports Car being the one that I am most commonly associated with. And there's also Sports Car 365 and Racer if you're in the States um, and Motorsport.com. A bunch of different outlets will have their own version. Of, uh, of course, the race itself will have highlights throughout the race. Um, and if you are in the WEC uh, Discord server, we will have people uh, putting together little clips so that way you won't miss a moment. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah, even if you fade in and out, it's actually not too hard. It's it's much easier to think to catch up with where you're at um, compared to uh, what you might expect. To add on more to the Discord, we also have these uh, a scratch pad that's most likely going to be made, and people basically what it is is that it's basically it details what happens. It's kind of like a text document, and they kind of you know, they give you what time it happened, car numbers, you know what. Um, still have like coded sections, color coded sections of uh, what the flag was. If it's a, if it was an FCY safety car or green, uh, I know in the past they had the clips in there as well. Then they'll have like you know drinking game stuff, predictions to get more of the community involved. So definitely take a look at the scratch pad when that gets put up. If you aren't in the, if you're in the Discord server, um, so that'd be another way to help you keep track of the race or. Um, Get more in tune with what, what the race is happening if you missed a, a portion of it. And all of these things will link in the description of this uh, of this episode, so you'll be able to find them. Um, something else as well is uh, we've got our master info post up on the WC subreddit. Um, we'll link that in as well, and that has a bunch of extra additional information on the context of the event, the, con- uh, the different parts of the track, some history, some great... Uh, user-sourced race reports and some old races. We did that a few years ago as part of our Le Mans Legends celebration. Some videos, some documentaries. There's some great documentaries um, that you can watch to get you sort of interested and uh, provide some more context to the race. I think the first one that I'm going to recommend is, of course, Truth in 24. Um, You can find Truth in 24.1 and Truth in 24.2 up on YouTube. Uh, and that, that'll also have links to the entry list. That'll have links to the spotters guide when that comes out. And that will be courtesy of one of our Reddit users. It will be from uh, Zionbell444 or um, Groziak Mateus on Twitter. So uh, what that is, is if you haven't seen one of them before, it's just basically a picture of every single car and every single driver and the teams and how to identify them. It's super duper useful um, for keeping track of what's who's hap- what's happening to who and when and of course you have your black marker of doom ready to cross off any cars that get retired um which is always a great le mans tradition and yeah it's it, we've got plenty of information up and about and um yeah plenty of ways to make this race a little easier to follow because as i said it is quite a complicated little beast uh chris for those in the united states of america where you are situated how do you watch this great event Legally, it'll be on Motor Trend Plus, and I know there's Americans who, because uh, Motor Trend, uh, there's a Motor Trend TV channel that normally shows, like, in, for regular WBC races, they show the first and last hour, and they have commercial breaks and whatnot, so when they hear Motor Trend Plus, they think that. It's not that. It's the paid subscription model. It's like five, six bucks a month, although you can get a free trial uh, for the week of the month. And it's the full it's a full race, commercial free with the WEC World Commentary team, um, because unfortunately the FIA WEC official stream 
is geo-blocked for the United States in the English-speaking portion of Canada. Um, although, don't tell anybody this. I bought the, the Sebring pack <gasps> for the WP stream, and it worked. I didn't need to use a VPN what? or anything. So, yes, so... so don't tell anyone this as we publish it on a podcast to send around to basically everyone on all the motorsport subs on Reddit. <laughs> I'm not, so I'm not telling I'm not telling you that the, the WEC stream is going to work in the states. It's good. I'm not. I'm, don't if, if if you have what's the pack cost? Like what ten bucks? Something like that. So if if you have that money, if you have that amount of money to waste, or, or not necessarily waste. If you want to give it a try to see if the official stream works, if they forget to geoblock it like they did, I know I, I think they probably forget it for all WBC races. Because I remember a couple of years ago, it, the WBC app worked just fine for me. Huh. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, it'll be it'll, it'll be a nice experiment come Wednesday. See if that actually works. Um, so so basically, safe safe uh, way to watch it. Um, uh, if when you're paying Motor Trend Plus, if you're feeling risky, uh, try the WBC app. And for those uh, around Europe, um, it is going to be on Eurosport. I believe they're also taking the official FIA WEC feed, um, which includes commentary from the main commentary team led by Martin Haven, Graham Goodwin, and former F1 driver and former uh, WEC world champion uh, Anthony Davison, um, uh, amongst a few other drivers, uh, a few other people as well. They'll also have region-specific commentary for different regions. Um, so if you're in Europe, you can get in on that. Um, all, worldwide, it is available on the WEC, uh, either the app or the official members page through the WEC website. Um, so if you want to make sure that you sign up to that, it does come at a cost. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it, I think it's like €10 Euro for a 24-hour race, which includes, by the way, all the qualifying, all the practice, all of the other track action um, for the WEC. So, you know, it's really not that much in terms of the amount of action that you're getting out of it. And that includes replays as well. Um, so if you miss a session, you can rewatch it in your own time. Uh, and I think in Australia, where I am, it is also available on the app and also available on Stan Sports, which is a really dumb name for a streaming service, but that's what it's called in Australia. Um, so I think I'll be tuning in on that, um, provided that my friend who has a Stan account lets me mooch off his details once again. Uh, track action will start on Wednesday with the practice session. And Lamont has a very interesting sort of schedule. So uh, on Wednesday, we have uh, the first practice session. Um, free practice one, which goes for three hours. Then we have qualifying that night. So that's a one hour qualifying session and that's for all classes. So all 60 cars are on track. Um, the top six class cars in each of those classes, uh, from that qualifying session get moved into hyperpole, which is a 15 minute, 15 minute. Oh, whereabouts is it? It's, it's 30 minutes, 30 minutes of, uh, basically just fast laps. So you're only 24 cars on track or 23 cars on track because you've only got the five hypercars. Uh, and it's just the fastest laps that you can put in. Uh, and then after that, there's another practice session uh, that runs through to midnight on the Thursday. Um, and then on Friday, there is no track action. 
for the WEC. You have the 15-minute warm-up on Saturday morning, and then the 24-hour race starts at 4 p.m. local Central European time. Um, Central European summertime as well, I think, um, which is UTC plus two, which I think for me is 11.30 p.m. And what's the start time for you in the um, uh, middle of America, Chris? Um, for people in the central time zone, I believe it might be 9 a.m. So that's pretty good. Um, you know, yeah. wake, wake up on wake up on Saturday some motorsport, which is great fun. Um, and yeah, it'll run for 24 hours. Um, so, and then yeah, 24 hours later it will it will finish. And it's I always I always find the calm down after Le Mans to be like especially tiresome. Like you don't realize just how wound up you are watching a 24 hour race until afterwards when you go, damn, I'm tired. It the, the when you wake up after you know the Le, after Le Mans. The post Lama depression really hits you because because try to watch anything else after Lama any any other racing, it's it's tough, isn't it? It's it's ridiculous. So remember we were talking earlier about the 2016 event and Toyota's troubles um, when they failed on the last lap. Literally minutes later, the F1 race at Baku started, and I remember just thinking like. I am interested in F1. This clash kind of sucks, but I, I have no emotional capacity to keep watching racing after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be one of those one of those great little things. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. I think we've covered off everything. Thank you very much for taking a very short sleep to wake up at 5 a.m. to do this podcast with me, Chris. Who said I slept? Off. Okay. Let's leave that well enough alone. Um and another thing before we head off, uh, Friday, uh, the day before Lamont in the WC Discord server, we're going to plan some activities. It's not a solid itinerary yet, but what we're thinking is maybe the Truth in 24 documentary watch-alongs. Um, maybe some uh, games like Scribble.io. Um, that's been uh, mentioned before. And uh, also maybe like a little pub quiz like we had last year. Um, you know, to get everybody together before the big uh, day before the big race. Have a good time, you know, just do some activities, break the ice a little bit before the uh, main event of the weekend shows up. So if that's something you're interested in, if you're not already in the Discord server yet, uh, feel free to join us. Absolutely. That sounds like an absolutely cracking good time. And this is, for me, the best week of the year. Le Mans week, just watching the cars whiz through the French countryside. These, in, in doing this endurance race, it's, it's part of, part of the, the best reasons for, for watching motorsport. It's it is the jewel in the in the triple crown of motorsports. Uh, and I think I think it's the, the best race in the world. And hopefully uh, if you've listened this far, you've found something a, a little piece of advice, a little bit of something that's gonna make your Le Mans experience better if you do choose to watch it, and I hope you do. Um, and if you do, I hope you enjoy it and I hope that we've helped you get to that point. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, the racingline.app for supporting us. And, uh, you know, make sure that you get onto the app to get updates for when all your sessions are across the weekend. Um, they've been very good to us in, uh, in helping support this project. And thank you, Chris. And, yeah, um, I'm going to cut that up and do that way better afterwards because that. Uh, I've been Michael Zalavari. Peace out.
Hey, Flood, before we go, I yep. do have something interesting. Um, so, KFC, huge sponsor of Sean Galel. Yep. Who was driving in this race? Yep. Who's going to be in the race in the uh, LMP2 WRT for 31? We have a couple of Indonesians in the WEC Discord server who brought this to our attention. I believe um, Jeps brought this first. Okay. Um, the KFC in Indonesia is introducing the 24 Hours of Lamar combo. I'm so confused. I don't know how what to do with this information. <laughs> and also, what they're going to do is that they have two locations in Indonesia. I'm not gonna, even going to try to pronounce the names. I don't want to start an international incident. Um, Again, not after the last time. <laughs> they're getting up to speed by uh, offering a menu dedicated to the classic Lamont. Two giant screens will be installed in the locations to follow the race, and more particularly that of the Orica 07 WRT31, which is, of course, Sean Galeo. What? That is awesome! Yeah. 